This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and I am joined today by a filmmaker, FOIA student, UFO enthusiast, and citizen activist all the way on the other side of the world. I'd like to welcome host of the Unexplained Rundown, Grant Lavac. Grant, welcome to the podcast. Andy, it's good to be with you, my friend. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's good to have you on. You are one of those folks, Grant, that I rely on on social media for certain aspects of my UFO news or updates, especially from over the other side of the world, uh, as you are um, based in Australia. I'd like you to, for those who aren't on social media, who might be listening to you for the first time, give them a little bit of a rundown as to who you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from Sydney. I uh, live in Melbourne, Australia now with my, my wife, my little one, three and a half year old, and um, have always had uh, a, a fascination and interest in obviously the UAP UFO topic since I was a little fella. And it was actually um, when I was around about seven, eight years of age, my dad took me to a, a photo exhibition, a UFO photo exhibition. And I only learned uh, later this, uh, earlier this year, or actually it was last year, that uh, veteran UAP Australian researcher Bill Chalker was responsible for organising that particular photo exhibition. So that was a uh, kind of like a six degrees of separation with uh, with Bill. But that was really got what sparked my interest. This photo exhibition had all these you know black and white blow ups of famous UFOs over the years, and one of them was the McMinnville photo, the famous McMinnville photo. And I remember just staring at that photo for what felt like an eight, you know. 10, 15 minutes, just losing myself in, in that photo altogether. And then as I grew up as a, as a teenager, you know, come every Wednesday night at 9 p.m., you'd have the X-Files and then you'd do a big debrief with your, your schoolmates the next day. So I always had an, a, an active interest in the topic and sci-fi growing up as a, as, a, as a little fella and then my teenage years. And then, like I guess a lot of folks, it wasn't until the 2017 articles came out in the New York Times uh, that really piqued my interest. And and then throughout COVID, I kind of became a, a, a sponge again on the topic and uh, was, you know, listening to more and more podcasts and, and with everything that was ramping up with uh, the activity that was ramping up in the US, it, it got me thinking, well, what is Australia doing about this whole topic, considering how far the ball has moved since 2017 in the States? And Unfortunately, um, you know, the Australian Government Department of Defence is doing very little on this topic, but that's kind of been my driving force now for the last couple of years is to try and engage my elected representatives and folks in government uh, to, you know, try and move the needle along and, and, and get them to take the topic seriously and treat it with the, the respect that it deserves rather than ridicule it and play the ignorance is bliss card. So, so that's kind of a bit of a... a a quick summary as to my history on the topic. Nice. I think a lot of listeners will appreciate, and it's similar to myself, that you had that interest as a kid, and that just kind of carried on in 2020, COVID, bit of a wild time for everyone, and some of us started podcasts, blogs, you know, uh, YouTube shows, just getting more active on social media, and it's that kind of new... God, I don't want to sound really old or big-headed either, but new generation or new age of UFO folks coming through. Because I think for so long there had been so many amazing researchers, but there seems to be like a massive gap in ages between there was folks that just, they were getting older. And really, unfortunately, people like Stanton Friedman and, and others, you know, pass away 
and it was mm. like who was coming in to take their place and it's great to see that folks all around the world are now potentially going to be those folks in years to come and you look at yourself and you i'm not saying it's going to be you grant but you know you you picked up that niche in australia where there was a gap for for ufo researchers and people coming forward to talk about the topic especially on social media you know unless there's people that i've missed you're one of the folks i've seen in, in australia you know, short of a Ross Coulthard, we'll get to, who's, yeah. who's really picked up the ball and ran with it. And even doing that that dirty work, that boots on the ground, I'm going to write to politicians. I'm going to tell folks that they should be writing to politicians. That wasn't being done. So, you know, thumbs up for that kind of work. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and I mean, really, I've just, I mean, I continue to stand on the shoulders of giants like Bill Chalker, Keith Basterfield, you know, Ross Coulthard. Um, I've learned a lot from, from John Greenwald, you know, with what he's done with his great work for decades now with FOIA. So um, that's why I say throughout COVID, I just became a sponge and just threw myself into the topic, trying to learn as much as I could from as many as I could uh, and just kind of fell into this niche of, well, you know, there's not many folks asking the sorts of questions that have interested me on, well, why isn't Australia taking this topic seriously? What, Why are they so reluctant to engage our US ally and Five Eyes partner on this topic, uh, when you know you have US and Canada being quite open with their communication and, and transparent with how they're taking the topic seriously. So, and I think we're we're kind of live in a privileged uh, day and age with the you know with the advent of social media. I mean, Stanton Friedman and 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 those guys from decades past you know, they really had just the UFO conferences to go to and and maybe small community uh, groups and those sorts of things. We're really in a position now where information is just at the speed of a tweet or I don't know what you call a, the equivalent it is with that, with X yeah, now. But, I, I still uh, stuck with tweet, yeah, but yeah, I know yeah, what you but, mean. But I mean, you know, you, you have, um, you know, the, the YouTubes and, and uh, podcast platforms and Spotify and and. Twitter and, and Facebook, and you, we're, you're just able to not just um, access information so much more faster and, and it's so much more readily accessible than it has been ever before, but you have the opportunity to engage with like-minded people, uh, those that aren't like-minded, you know, you don't have to live in an echo chamber, you can have constructive conversations and, and agree to disagree with folks that share different opinions, which is what um, I really enjoy. I don't always see eye to eye with people that I engage with on on social media and and that's perfectly fine everyone has their own belief systems and opinions and uh, I try and I try and stay as neutral as I possibly can throughout my exploration and journey on this topic and research and and let the information the data lead me which whether ways it goes and I've said this so many times on other uh, conversations that I've had with people that my mind is kind of almost constantly changing on this topic because you you know one week you'll hear one bit of information and the next week you'll hear something different it kind of it moves the needle back and forth for me all the time so um i am um yeah very much down the middle a lot of the time on this topic and the the big driving force for me which i said before is you know australia is yet to even acknowledge that a conversation needs to be had on this topic and, and a quote that I've stolen a few times from Ross Coulthard is, he says, all we want is for UAP to be not acknowledged, for it to be investigated, and a conclusion reached as to what UAP are. And so for Australia, you know, we're not even at the stage yet of acknowledging that the conversation needs to be had on the topic. So sadly, Australia is decades 
behind the US uh, on the topic. And, you know, uh, we share that common ground that, you know, the UK and Australia, unfortunately, are, are still very much mum on the topic and don't yeah. want to talk about it, don't want to touch it, which is really frustrating considering, uh, you know, our US ally and Five Eyes partner is taking it so seriously. Yeah, UAP in the UK and Australia, like you say, stands for unacknowledged phenomenon. <laughs> if yeah. I can, if I can ruin that, and yeah. I wonder though, that's that's in a a political sense, in a mainstream media sense, it's very much still a taboo subject, full of stigma. Where are the Aussie people at though, right now? Um, if I sent you to your to your place of work or like a your typical office, your typical supermarket, and Grant Levac walked about doing the Vox Pop thing with a microphone asking the general public, you know, tell us about UFOs, what do you know? What's that conversation sounding like? You know, I was, um, again, at the start of COVID when I was kind of really deep diving on this topic, I was a bit reluctant to share my um my fascination, or as what my wife would call obsession, maybe with this uh, with this topic, marriage and the UAP topic don't always go hand in hand. By the way, for uh, for folks that are out there, but um, no, I mean, and being from Sydney, uh, I travel up to Sydney, or used to travel up to Sydney fairly frequently, you know, pre-COVID and and after restrictions lifted because Melbourne had one of the worst restrictions in, on the planet. Uh, you know, couldn't do anything. But you know, I travel to Sydney, and and I've shared this story before, but. Uh, I was going through the security checkpoint and I was doing some research at the time on um, Kurt Russell's encounter with the Phoenix Lights. And I did a whole video documentary on that. And uh, the security checkpoint officer went through my my um, carry-on luggage and I had uh, Lynn Kitai's book on on the Phoenix Lights and, and he pulled it out. And before you know it, we were just having a, a just a random uh, informal conversation on the Phoenix Lights and then the topic. And yeah, he continued to kind of check bags as they were coming through. And, you know, 10 minutes later, we're still having a, a conversation on the topic. Just very light, nothing, oh, you're wearing your tinfoil hat and woo. So I've had more of those conversations in the last two years than I have uh, many, many years before. So I think people are a lot more open to having the conversation on the topic with everything that's been happening in the last five, six years. I don't think... Australia, unfortunately, is always, you know, living down under. We're always a little bit behind uh, with everything. And uh, the media is is certainly uh, no different there. They're, they're still very lackluster in their coverage on the topic. So I would say that a lot of, a lot of Aussies probably don't have the, um, the knowledge uh, or, or, or know what is even happening on the topic one as much we as we do because we're heavily invested in learning what's happening day to day, researching it, uh, and obviously our friends across the pond in the United States, there is coverage on this topic. I mean, almost daily. I mean, News Nation, mm. to their credit, is covering this more than any other network. Uh, so they're really leading the charge. But Australia's really not the, not there. We have a couple of the breakfast shows that will cover. Uh, breaking developments in the US, um, then they'll always bloody play the X-Files at the front end of a segment, which really, yep. really still you know, frustrates me because they're still taking the piss out of the topic. They're just not taking it seriously. And so I've got a gripe on with the, with the legacy media in Australia. But I think that's why probably not many Australians are actually either fully aware of the topic or not taking it seriously because the media is choosing not to cover it. Uh, and it's just been you know, treated with ridicule and stigma uh, within the government uh, as well as within the Australian Department of Defence. So, 
you know, if you walked up to someone on the streets in Australia that really had no interest on the topic, I think they'd probably be um, open to having a conversation with you because I'm sure they've heard, you know, inklings and rumors about what's been happening in the US, but they just don't know the extent of it as uh, as we do and our friends across the pond. So I think people are more open to having the conversation uh, about it now and, and it not always turning into a little green men or, uh, you know, or, or, or aliens discussion. And I've never actually come at it from uh, a non-human intelligence or ET hypothesis perspective. I've always positioned it as, well, the US has told us that UAP are real and that they you know, pose a potential national security threat and safety of flight risk. Well, that's the same. They're the same um, you know, concerns that Australian government and Australian Department of Defence should have. We're not even going down the, 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 the path of, well, let's talk NHI and what David Grush has kind of revealed uh, in testimony in Congress. Australia's not even at that point yet. Again, we haven't even acknowledged that the conversation needs to be had from a national security perspective and safety of flight risk. So that's, again, where I've been coming at it from is just on that uh, on that national security and safety of flight perspective. How was that David Grush story picked up on? And it, not to forget Ryan Graves and David Fravor were there, but we've said numerous times Grush was the story that came from the UFO hearings. That's what that's what the international media picked up on. They almost forgo the fact that Ryan Graves and David Fravor were there because David Grush was blockbuster he was he was the clips he was the the sound bites because of what he was saying that language of non-human biologics talking about bodies talking about craft um it was that that was the headlines and understandably so how did that land in australia was it like you say it hit the the breakfast shows bang us whistleblower comes forward x-files music and then it was gone yep. the next day Pretty much, yeah. Um, you know, they didn't even touch on. I, I, I don't recall seeing any coverage that even touched on uh, Ryan Graves and David Fravor's testimony, which I actually found. I mean, I thought those guys were were great in that they really hit it out of the ballpark. That this is, uh, you know, such a, a national security and safety flight issue that needs to be addressed because there's a huge domain awareness gap. Um, I, I found their their testimony um, to be as compelling or just as compelling as uh, the, the sincerity that David Grush was coming at it from. But, you know, of course, David Fravor and Ryan Graves got no coverage uh, in, in the media in Australia because it's not fantastical enough. It wasn't, it wasn't as, um, you know, clickbaity as it, uh, as, you know, breakfast shows and the, and the, the the, uh, the the newspaper and the the online media wanted to be so David Grush certainly got some um, some coverage with with his testimony and, and claims but again like you said it's always kind of been you know positioned with uh, the the little tinfoil hat or the the stigma attached to it with the X Files playing or always a reference to Martians or tiny green men and that sort of thing which is you know we're so past that point it's just so frustrating that there still seems to be those folks that laugh into their hands when they hear people talk about the topic in the media. And, you know, the, the classic example with that we just saw, saw in the last couple of days, the the Republican presidential, um, you know, candidate debate. Yeah. You, know, you had Chris Christie getting asked a question and, you know, the audience resorts to uh, to laughter and it just, it just you know, puts a big um, you know, needle in the balloon and, and fizzles it out so that people go back to just, 
treating it with ridicule and and ignorant on on how how important the topic is and how um, concerned you know people within the U.S. Congress are, are are really taking this issue. Yeah, and I think with that whole perception as reality when it comes to the media and how the media report things is very much how most of the the populace take their news and they take that as as gospel um and for anyone who hadn't seen it just to expand on it slightly uh, christy gets asked a question by the the host of the, the the panel on stage of all the representatives and candidates and she says you know the ufo question and she asks it in a reasonable manner to be fair yeah. but as she's asking it the camera keeps cutting to Christie, who does the the guffaw and the, oh, really, I'm getting the UFO question. You're going to give me that question and kind of laughs it off. The audience laughs and she tries her best to ask the question. So nothing against the host in that respect. But like you say, at that point, that that kills a lot of momentum for people who may have been going, ah, the UFOs question is getting asked now. It, uh, it's It's a joke. Okay, yeah, so I'm not interested anymore. That's That's how that works for most people. And that's where I've said many times, Grant, and some people agree, some don't. And that, like you say, that's fine. Social media and UFO Twitter, UFO X, whatever you want to call it, isn't the world, you know, media. It's a very small bubble of folks all having conversations yeah. back and forward. And just because we view certain things or we retweet the same people, we have these interesting debates or interesting points of view. No one else is seeing that outside of a relatively small bubble. It's, um, you're a hundred percent right. It is, and it's, it is. It's so unfortunate that um, you know that that I think. So Nikki Haley, who's uh, running uh, as a Republican, she was asked also a couple of months back, I think, in an interview about the uh, the UAP topic, and she openly admitted that she wasn't well versed on it. She hadn't been briefed. She hadn't really done any, uh, spent any time. You know, exploring it as a as a as an issue that would might be on the uh, on, you know, on on the presidential debates, but now clearly it it is a question that um, has been asked, and and hopefully you would want to think with some of the the other debates that are yet to come, with maybe other moderators uh, and hosts that are asking questions in a more uh, pertinent manner. I, I think you know that's not the last question that we're going to see, and you know someone that I've really um, admired in the last couple of months uh from from the uh you know from the journalist field uh chris cuomo i think he's really done a great job on news nation to bring himself up to speed on the topic and he's asked some really i think interesting uh and relevant questions he's had ross coulthard on a number of times he's interviewed i think he he had jeremy corbell on his podcast Mm -hmm. um, only recently and and he's a smart cat, and he asked some really interesting questions uh, on the topic. So you know, if there are more people like him that are going to be moderating these uh, presidential nominee and presidential debates going forward, I think you know they're they're the sorts of folks that you want to have asking questions that are well versed on the topic. They understand that it's being taken seriously, uh, you know, and it's not um, it's not a topic that that deserves to be treated with uh you know with with ridicule or um snickers you know behind uh hands and into into elbows and so on you know so yeah so hopefully hopefully we'll see uh you know more questions asked over time and and they they do have a a bit more of a serious tone given to them as well 
Well, speaking of journalists, obviously, uh, one of the most famous Australians of the last couple of years, you know, normally you would say Steve Irvin, uh, Crocodile Dundee, uh, Nicole Kidman, uh, Margot Robbie, I think I have to give a shout out these days. Um, Ross Coulthard has thrown himself into the lexicon when you talk about famous Australians for the work he's done. Um, Can I ask first, as an Australian, because that's the whole point of having you on here, you've got that perspective that isn't the US, the UK, the usual how is Ross Coulthard viewed as a journalist in Australia, first and foremost? Yes, I mean, I've I've known of Ross. I now know Ross, but I've known of Ross um, for many, many years. I mean, he he is uh, 60 Minutes Australia alumni. Uh, he's been with um, ABC Four Corners program, which is a, a news and um, current events and news program. So Ross has been on some of the most recognized and respected uh, news and current current events uh, channels in in Australia. Now he's with more recently Seven Seven Spotlight, and he's done a number of documentaries, not just on the UAP topic, but he continues to do stories on big tobacco and 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 other topics as well. Um, and you know he's he's obviously um, uh, you know he's he's the recipient of the Walkley Award a, a number of times. So I, I think he's Certainly, from my perspective, he is well respected and well regarded. First and foremost, as an investigative journalist uh, in his own right, uh, and you know, then for him to kind of burst onto the scene uh, following you know the release of his his book in plain sight, which I think is really wonderful, essential reading for anyone that has just new to the topic and and is not. Yeah, and and updated edition coming out pretty soon, so it'll be interesting to to see what uh, you know updates is is made to it. But yeah, to, to answer your question, you know, prior to him uh, entering the the main stage on the UAP topic, um, I personally think he was ha, you know has been very well regarded and real, well respected on uh, on you know many topics from a journalistic standpoint, and that's not just me; that's my my immediate family members and friends feel that I know that he cops a bit of a um, uh, a rough trot on on social media and tall poppy syndrome. You know, when someone uh, does well at anything, there's people that want to pull them down. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people on social media are saying, "Oh, you know, where's the evidence? Show us the evidence." And you know, they they think they're entitled to um, some evidence that is just going to be thrown their way. But I understand where Ross is coming from. A lot of the times, I mean, the the reason why people go to Ross with they entrust him with information is because they can trust him as someone that is going to protect their identity, protect them as a source. There's not he's not going to go blabbing their identity to to the world and and reveal that information. So, you know, Ross is kind of adhering to the golden rule of investigative journalism: is you protect your sources, you don't reveal. Your sources, because if you do game over as an investigative journalism, no one's ever going to trust you again and come to you with information. So that's what he's doing first and foremost: is protecting his source and only revealing information that he is able to reveal that is not going to jeopardize the identity or the security or the well-being of a source. Uh, I get that. I, I, you know, I understand that. I don't know why so many other people don't don't understand it. So, you know, and. Unfortunately, we're not ever going to be in a position where we're going to have evidence spoon-fed our way or thrown our way because we don't 
have a class. We don't have a security clearance. We don't have any, you know, top secret uh, SCI clearance. We're just given basically the scraps of information that that come our way. And unfortunately, I think that's go. That's how it is going to be until the day comes that maybe with this new legislation that 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 Schumer is uh, is behind with the UAP Disclosure Act and continued FOIA efforts that we can you know have breadcrumbs revealed every now and then that reveal larger breadcrumbs that can you know help uh, identify larger bread loaves and those sorts of things that's an analogy that that John Greenwald shared with me time and time again so the notion that I think people are going to be going to get some big revelation of evidence I don't think is is ever going to happen outside of there being some um, unofficial disclosure or, or leak uh, that is going to come out of someone in the intelligence community or that that is in a position to know. Uh, I think people need to manage their expectations a little and and understand that you know, evidence, unfortunately, is only available to uh, a select number that uh, are privy to be read into that information. You know, have have a, a clearance, or uh, they are, are trusted as an individual that's not going to reveal the identity of uh, of the source. So that's unfortunately that's the way it is. Yeah, evidence is also subjective as well, because Ross yeah. Coulthard recently, and we're going to talk about the presentation he just done in Melbourne, but um, as part of the Q&A, and correct me if I get any of this wrong, because uh, I'm just catching up on the second part of it. I believe you were there, weren't you, Grant, at the presentation? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah I had the good opportunity of, uh, of, of being there. It was, it was, so, it was really good. So uh, we'll come to that, right? So I believe one of the audience questions for the Q&A asked Ross, and he mentioned that he knew, was it the form? of non-human intelligence and it was asked a question like that and he said yes i know the form it takes and he said he can't go into more than that because of the reasons you say and that was protecting sources and methods he wants to get to a point where he can talk more about that and i'm assuming when i hear something like that he can come out and say yes we have a species coming from planet a to earth in the form of this or he says it's something that is non-human but it's robotic or clones he maybe knows something a bit more than we do yeah something like that this is just speculating he's not said this just to clear that up but that's the idea he's giving that he knows the form it's taken people still won't be happy with that like you say because well we want evidence so then ross maybe says okay here is general Oz Australian. Uh, he works in the, the Australian military. Here's who told me. And then he comes forward and tells us, people will say, okay, now where did he get the evidence? And it's just that constant line, isn't it, of yeah, but, yeah, but, and people are yeah. never going to be happy at large. So it's a bit of a losing battle, isn't it, in terms of what evidence people find appropriate? Yeah, that's right. I think you know, we're, we're all craving something that's tangible. And you know, uh, even with even if there is the 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 revelation of evidence that's it's corroborative, um, it's verifiable. You know, I, I still think you're going to have folks that, until the day comes that they can see it with their own eyes, they can touch it with their own uh, your hands, and and it's it becomes tangible to them. I think it's going to remain, um, you know, that kind of a, a, an, an enigma for many people because they just they. You know that they believe it when they see it, sort of thing. And and uh, I'm I'm again of the of the belief. Like for me, uh, I again try and stay very neutral, and I take 
uh, I keep a very skeptical but yet open mind on the entire topic. So when you know I I hear of um, the latest greatest uh, UFO or UAP footage or sighting that has been uploaded to social media, I I, I take it with a grain of salt because there's what about provenance? When was it taken? Who was who? Who did it? Was it uh, captured from you know? how was it captured? How was it disseminated? There are so many questions that need to be answered before, for me personally, before I can, um, you know, take some form of uh, evidence that is presented seriously. So, and I think rightly or wrongly, people will make their own conclusions as to what they're presented with. But for some people, that's not going to be enough. They'll just want more and more and more to the point where it is so tangible for them that they can, see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, whatever they're going to, you know, whatever is going to get them across the line to uh, to satisfy their curiosity that that's, this is this is legitimate, this is real. So different strokes for different folks, I guess, but um, I think it's uh, for me to, to stay neutral and grounded and, and let the, let the data and the facts kind of lead the way. And that's, and that's why I really respect and applaud the work of, um, of Avi Loeb and who I know you only just recently had had on the Galileo project you know he's he's practicing what he's preaching you know he's he's talking about science and he's doing science he's getting out there and he's he's trying to uh, you know have these expeditions where he can retrieve actual material and test it analyze it see if the results can be repeated he's he's not just talking about it he's actually doing it and and that's why I think you know, it's important that folks like R.V. Loeb are leading the charge uh, on the topic from a scientific standpoint because he is well-respected, he's well-regarded, and I think a lot of folks will follow his lead uh, in the scientific and academic community when they they start to see that, you know, he's not being ridiculed or his career hasn't suffered as a result of the the, the, the serious... Uh, Tone that he's taken with the topic, so I have a lot of time for Arvi Loeb, and, and I respect the the approach that he's taken to try and understand the nature of and extent of UAP, whatever UAP think, may be. Yeah, of course. And do you think there's an element of when it comes to to evidence that the slow build and slow reveal of things makes more sense over that kind of prolonged period of time? You think if you, I remember watching the first Iron Man movie not thinking that 20 movies down the line we were going to have the Infinity War and Endgame and there would be this whole encapsulating story. But if at the end of Iron Man 1, when he says, you know, I am I am Iron Man, the Russo brothers walk on screen and say, look, at the end of this, Thanos doesn't have the stones, Tony dies and he snaps his fingers. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers for Endgame there. Yeah. You've not you've not had the context and the journey for all of what happens between that for you to feel and understand it and understand what's going on. And I think that's where I personally enjoy that element of the UFO topic that you get slow releases and something else happens. And it's almost like that episodic TV show. It feels like at the minute anyway, doesn't it? Where mm. someone else comes out and you've got like a bit of a twist and then you hear something else and you hear a new idea or a new opinion. And very slowly it starts to make sense. And you get folks who, and they're, they're quite right to, to want this, that they want tomorrow someone to come out and say, here's the grey beings, here's the craft, and let's have a one-hour talk on how all this came about. Maybe that slow-burning realisation and disclosure, confirmation, whatever you want to call it, 
is the right way to go. And I personally see that if that's what's going to happen, maybe that's what's playing out right now in front of us. Yeah, I mean, if you if you kind of look at the parallels with you know a show that we all were fans of growing up as as kids, the X Files, you'd have that recurring storyline over how many seasons that the X Files X Files ran, where it'd be the uh, you know the the ET, the the mystery of the Black Ooze, or whatever the the subject line was, and that yeah. ran over several several seasons, and uh, I think that's also kind of playing out in what we're seeing since not just 2017, but I think seven, 2017 was kind of that that pivotal milestone for the topic where we had, you know, such revelations and these bombshell articles come out in the New York Times, which understandably had some uh, information in there what we now know was not um, factual or, or accurate and needed to be corrected, you know, ATIP or SAP, 22 million, where did it go and that sort of thing. But in the in the scheme of things, in the big picture, you know, you look at everything that's happened since 2017, it's just been this progressive ramp up of uh, information, activity, more and more important people uh, and, and, you know, those within government, within military, the scientific community taking the topic seriously. It kind of feels like it's, it's that it's that snow um, that 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 tiny you know ball of snow that's rolling down the hill, gradually getting greater speed and greater mass, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger until, hopefully, at some point, there's a point of critical mass where um, you know more and more members of the of the general public get um, start to ask the questions that we're asking on this topic and get interested and start to ask questions of their elected representatives so more and more people within the government start asking questions as well. I mean, that's the big challenge that we've had in Australia to date is that there's only one Australian senator, only one, Senator Peter Wish-Wilson, that has had the courage and gumption to ask questions on UAP in an Australian context. And, And that dates back to his engagement on this topic dates back to October of 2021. And since that Time he's still again the only one that's asked questions. But you compare that to say the United States. Look at all of the the congressmen and women and representatives that have come out in support of this topic. You know, you had Gillibrand and Rubio, but now look how many others that have come out um, support the topic. I mean, to 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 Chuck Schumer, you know, one of the the most powerful political figures in 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 government in the United States, and it seems like it's just continuing to. Um, I mean, there's there's periods of ebbs, ebb and flow where, and and I've said this before, but um, Ross Coulthard for many of us is kind of a barometer, you know, how he's feeling from week to week kind of sometimes gives us a, a sense as to where we might be headed next. But the needle is constantly changing from week to week. You get something new happens, there's a new drop, there's something, I mean, who saw the the UAP Disclosure Act coming. I mean, we in the general public didn't see that coming until it hit the, uh, it you know, it, it hit the main stage and was uh, revealed to the world, and it was all over Twitter before you know it, and we're all talking about it. So it it feels like there is this ongoing um, you know increase uh, of information that's being pushed out in. Whether it's a drip feed fashion, whether that's by design or and that's quite strategic, or if it just happens to be how it's playing out, um, who knows? But I, I certainly feel, I mean, I've, I said before, what an exciting time for us to be alive 
for folks that take this topic seriously and yeah. are genuinely fascinated and interested by it. I mean, you know, we've never been at this point in time on this topic uh, than than we have today, and and that's that's an incredibly um, exciting time, but also uh, an incredibly um, you know privileged time to be alive and and an interesting moment in in our human history as well. Absolutely. Again, no matter what of, UAP is. Yeah, you know, of course. And it reminds me of uh, Doctor Who, one of the series where he talks about how we're living in the age of stars right now. And we're very fortunate to see the stars in the sky as we do. Because one day, very, very long time away, there won't be any more stars in the sky. And the skies around the universe will be black. And I thought that was always nice. And like you say, we're fortunate to kind of live where we are at the moment in a very interesting time in social media, the internet click of a button you've got all this content to consume or look at and information which people just didn't have in the past what's been a a, a recent moment with that kind of content was uh, the presentation that happened out in australia in melbourne uh, do you want to talk about that because you were involved you were there um, tell the listeners what happened yeah so i i found out about it back in june the the event organizers who um close encounters uh, australia they just run uh, a youtube channel and they they run a number of events and they made me aware of it, so I put a post out on on then Twitter, uh, letting folks that that follow my journey on the topic know about it. And um, and I think you know not as a result of my doing, but I think uh, in only a matter of weeks or months after that event was advertised, uh, again primarily through social media, that event sold out. So it kind of spoke to. Um, how uh, much of a demand there is for people to actually hear from and see Ross uh, in person, you know, up close and personal, uh, you know, share again how his uh, conversations and his breaking interview with David Grush came to be, and also his, uh, you know, his, his his foray into this topic, what got him interested in the topic, and led him to, uh, you know, investigating. Uh, you know, and and documenting it all and in plain sight and and uh, establishing a network of of uh, sources that he trusts and that trust him, and so it was a really good um, event for I think folks that one had an uh, and and just a a curiosity and interest in the topic, but maybe aren't again as well versed in the topic as much as we are on social media every day, and you know, kind of there I think sometimes. I'm probably spending a bit too much time on watching YouTube live streams and listening to podcasts and on Twitter, seeing what the latest updates are, because recently it feels like there's just so much going on. It, it almost is a full-time job to kind of stay up to date with what's going on the topic. So I think for folks that are new to the topic, it was a really good introduction because Ross kind of recapped on some of the key core themes from In Plain Sight. Uh, but what I was really looking forward to and, and valued the most was the Q&A session because uh, Ross took questions for about a bit over 60 minutes from questions uh, from folks that, again, were well-versed in the topic, those that maybe were new to the topic. Uh, and it was a really interesting and diverse mix of questions that he was asked on David Grush about um, you know, uh, the, um, uh, the 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 tick not the tic tac but the 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 Alaska shoot down in Dead Horse uh, Alaska he talked about uh, that and that it was a cylindrical uh, object that resembled kind of a tic tac so he there was a few little tidbits that he released that I don't think he had shared previously and obviously there's there's the patch that he introduced as well which I know kind of blew up uh, social media but 
you know, he was just putting out there and saying, this is information that was shared with me. Someone came forward to me and, and put this information in my hands. So here it is, do with it what you will take it, take it as it is and, and make your own judgment. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't uh, saying this is true. This is this, this is that he was just putting it out there. So, but again, the Q and a was the, was what I really valued the most. And for me, it was a, a nice opportunity to, to finally meet Ross in person. Cause I'd been uh, engaged with Ross and a few other folks uh, for over a year on, on, on email, on an email chain. So uh, I, I just, Found it. I was grateful. I had the opportunity to have a quick chat with him, uh, you know, privately, shake his hand, and and say, you know, thank you for all that you do to to elevate the conversation on the topic. Because I feel that without Ross, perhaps we might not be as far down the rabbit hole as we are today, uh, as as we were, you know, five six years ago. I think we we're in a fortunate position that there are folks like Ross who, uh, and you know, those. Think of them what you will, but Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp, there are people that obviously trust both of them with their information and they're uh, willing to come forward and present them with their information, maybe uh, out of um, frustration that their higher ups in the military aren't taking the topic seriously. So to, to Jeremy's uh, credit, you know, people are sharing with him some information that is uh, that is legitimate and valid. So um you know with those folks i think the conversation is is it benefits from them being in the topic and community rather than not yeah and and again i i got on well with jeremy i understand and he knows some people don't like camry's approach he has a huge following inside the ufo community but also outside he has a massive outreach and that is a great platform to get information out there ross coulter has that now as well with uh bryce sable and need to know obviously you've got a bit of a power power couple with jeremy <laughs> corbell and george knapp as well that's uh it was two names when folks saw those get together as such we were like really but it works and uh, yeah. i know a new weaponized has just came out i've not had a chance to watch watch it and i was do you know what grant i was really glad i managed to watch the first part of the Ross Coulter uh, presentation through the the web the channel you mentioned, Close Encounters Australia. The link will be in the description for folks to go and check out. And it was nice to hear you get a mention and a shout out from Ross um, when you were on when was on stage. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I, I had a chance to uh, have a quick chat before Ross went on on stage, and and yeah, it was it was a nice um, surprise, and uh, I was. Um, uh, thrilled to get a little shout out from him because you know it it it, it it's always um, a sense of um, your validation to a degree that you know the interest that I have in the topic and and the questions that I'm pursuing and trying to get answers to um, you know the, the journey that I've taken and the efforts that I've undertaken is obviously appreciated and it was nice for Ross to uh, for him to say that when he when he didn't need to and and it was just really nice to uh, meet so many other people at that event that I had not met in person but I'd engaged with on social media that are just everyday Aussies that like me are really curious and interested in the topic uh, and they you know wanted to see how they could help how they could assist me if I had some recommendations for them on how they can engage their elected representatives, what they can do to, you know, further com further the conversation with people that that, that are in their um, community and family and friends. So it was nice to be able to uh, put a lot of uh, Twitter handles to a name and, and a face and and see people up close and personal and and still continue to have engagement with those folks uh, since that event too. So. 
Um, I know there was there's quite a bit of interest for a, a comparable event to be held in Sydney. So I know that the event organisers were quite keen to see if uh, if that could be uh, done. I know Ross said he was quite keen to do it um, because there there is um, yeah just as much of an appetite for an event like that that was in Melbourne in in Sydney. So uh, and and I would say as well going back to you know to Ross and and to Jeremy. To their credit, um, again, irrespective of what you think of those gentlemen, you know, they've done a great job on elevating the conversation on the topic uh, in the in the mainstream media as well. You know, Jeremy has been on uh, some of the Brecky Central morning shows here in Australia. I know Sunrise is one that he's been on, along with John Greenwald and Ross has been on them as well. And so, you know, kudos to the media in that respect. They're having these gents on that are... Um, concise and uh, well-spoken and they're articulate in how they can get their message across and saying, well, this is a topic that's been taken seriously. Uh, this is why people need to pay attention. 100%. And just before we move on to to the, the kind of last part of the, the conversation, I want to ask you, if Ross, just before he went on stage, Grant said, Grant, you've done some amazing work. I really respect you. And I'm sure he does. Uh, I'm going to let you ask me one question. And just between us, I'm going to tell you the answer to it. Honestly, what would you have asked him? Uh, well, <laughs> if it's between me and Ross, so I, I actually had Ross on my uh, my live stream, The Unexplained Rundown, not long ago with Bill Chalker and, and yeah. another gentleman who's on, um, who's on Reddit who does a lot of good research. And Ross was talking about how... Uh, he has had conversations with folks that are in the Australian um, Defence Special Forces that have been involved in um, crash retrieval programs. And and I asked Ross the question, um, is that within Australia or is it abroad? And he, and he wouldn't go into answering that question, understandably from the sources and methods perspective. But that would be, that would be a question that I would love to, um, to, to get, uh, pick his mind on is, uh, have there been any crash retrievals or active uh, you know, efforts in Australia uh, on Australian soil to uh, to recover uh, UAP? Uh, as, as, as that would be my that would be a question that I'd be very keen to get an answer on because Australia is such a big place. There are so many places that you could hide some top secret tech here, and and I imagine there is. I mean, you've got Pine Gap out in. Uh, in, in the Northern Territory and in, in at Alice Springs, which people know very, very little about, jointly operated with the US and Australia. So, yeah, being such a large country, I'd love to know if there have been any, uh, what, what kind of UAP-related programs and crash trigger programs have, um, have been happening on Australian soil? Well, that leads me on very nicely because uh, my next question was about Australia. The landmass of the country is huge, and I always knew that, but I've now got family who have lived out in Sydney and moving to Brisbane now. Um, they've been out there for almost 10 years, just over 10 years, actually. Um, a lot of folks might not realise that most of the population, most most countries, the population resides along the coast and then moves inland, but Australia is very much resigned to the coast, isn't it? Yeah. And there's 95% of the country is uninhabited. You have that mass of just nothing because of the heat, the lack of rainfall, and um, when you've got like the outback and everything, where it's just a nothingness in the middle of the country. And I wonder, how do you think that unique geography in remote area might help or impact UFO sightings? But also, like you say, do you think there's a good chance that it's a good place for testing of secret equipment? Um, for I mean, if something went down, the odds are that no one would find it, see it, or hear it because it's so big as well, isn't it? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, I think like you know, compared to the US, where it's such densely populated country from from the east to the west coast, you know, like you said, Australia is completely opposite. We're really just isolated to the coastal fringes of of the country, and you've got this massive landmass, and just in the center of the country is really just desert, sand, and it's it's uninhabited. So, um, you know, I think. You know, people often say, well, how come Australia doesn't have as many sightings as the US? Well, one, um, Australia doesn't have any reporting or recording protocols at the moment for the Australian Department of Defence. So you know, if you remember what Ryan Graves testified at the congressional hearing, he said in his assessment, and it was just his assessment, there's that about 5% uh, is the reporting number. You know, 95% of sightings are unreported. Australia doesn't have any reporting. So you, we're probably at zero. Nothing is getting reported. But you have uh, folks like MUFON. Uh, there, are, there are other you know, UAP UFO organizations that, that take reports from the general public. And there, there are um, you know, a, a large number of reports uh, for, for Australia. Uh, MUFON, for example, I reached out to the managing director of uh, MUFON Australia and New Zealand, Roger Stankovic, uh, and I, I inquired when I was doing some research initially, I said, well, how many, how many Australian cases were submitted or sightings were submitted to MUFON between that comparable date range from when the UAP task force was investigating, was, was doing its preliminary assessment on UAP? They looked at a date range from about 2004 to 2021, and MUFON received about 1,158 cases or reports over that time range. Now, obviously, that's not nearly as big as maybe the caseload of the US, but that's pretty significant, and that's just from predominantly uh, general public. So how much of it is, one, going unreported because there are no reporting mechanisms in place, and how many are just not being observed at all because of the fact that we're you know, we're really a coastal, uh, coastal country. We're isolated to the to the coastal fringes, where you have so much light pollution that you can't even see, other than a couple of stars in the sky at night. Unless you live out in the country, and you're going to get a, a crystal night sky with those billions of stars, um, you know, up 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 above you. It's not surprising that you don't have a lot of sightings reported because of the fact that we're a smaller country, we're isolated to the coastal ranges. There really isn't the same reporting culture, I guess, in Australia as there is now in the United States. Um, and so I think that, that that all plays a part of it. And there's also uh, certainly less of um, a, a nuclear element to it. We don't have, um, you know, obviously we have, um, we're about to purchase three Virginia-class nuclear attack submarines from the United States as part of the AUKUS deal. But we don't have uh, nuclear assets within Australia. We don't have nuclear weapons. So being that there is a nuclear connection with UAP, maybe that's another reason why there aren't as many uh, cases or, or you know, sightings reported uh, near and around nuclear, nuclear installations and nuclear assets like the Nimitz carrier group, uh, like the nuclear attack attack submarines that the US have. So the US have have a lot more toys. I'm sure they have a lot more top secret tech that they're working on, which gets misinterpreted, misidentified as UAP. Um, you know, that's that's another element that you have to add into the mix when considering, well, you know, what are, what are Australians seeing and, and, and how frequently are they seeing it? 
something you touched on earlier, but you, you you went past it. You were talking about, you know, you sit rather centrally on the UFO topic and you allow your opinion to be fluid and change. And I think that's the right way to approach this subject. Do you have right now a hypothesis that if someone said to you, you know, getting interested in the subject, Grant, what do you think this UFO phenomenon is? Is it alien beings <sighs> coming from elsewhere? Is it interdimensional craft or what's what's your opinion right now? Oh man, that's, that's a tough one because um, it, it does, it changes daily. I mean, I, I do think that there is, far out, I, I, I don't think it's one particular thing. I think it could be a combination of all of the, uh, potentially all of the, the, the hypotheses that have been thrown out there. I do think that there is um, black budget, top secret tech that certainly in the United States is being tested um, that is being misinterpreted or, or, mm. or, or uh, misidentified as UAP. I, I, without a doubt, I'm sure of that. Um, I'm also confident that the UAP topic is being um, scapegoated to a degree to um, throw off, to misdirect our foreign adversaries. I'm, I'm sure that that is also an element of it as well to make um, our foreign adversaries think that we have something that is far more advanced and technologically superior than what they have, you know, to keep our, our, our foreign adversaries guessing. Um, to what extent that that is, is a possibility, I don't know, but I'm sure it is, it is, a, is it a part of it in terms of any counterintelligence uh, you know, approach. And then you have, uh, you know, the, the, the non-human intelligence aspect. I mean, extraterrestrially, you don't have to go back to 2004. If you go back, you know, hundreds of years or even centuries ago, where even in Australia, you have, you know, cave art, uh, rock carvings and paintings, these petroglyphs of what we would today associate as, you know, um, ET or folks wearing, you know, uh, astronauts with spacesuits. I mean, there are things depicted in cave art from hundreds, if not thousands of years ago that depicts something odd that folks were obviously seeing uh, in the skies in their day. And, and that became a part of their stories and traditions of sharing that information from generation to generation through dream time and, and so on. So I think there is there is a component to this that goes uh, a long ways back before Roswell and before the 1930s. I don't think I don't think UAP is just a, mo a modern phenomenon. I think it goes back a long, long time. But in conversations that I've would ha have have had with other folks, like you know, Brad Voorhees of Sonic Gravity, he's very much um, invested in the idea that you know UAP could be uh, future human. You know, there could be an mm. extra temporal element to this as well. And you know, you have um, the interdimensional aspect, which David Grush has kind of alluded to with, with his t his testimony, uh, and what he's said today. And then you have the ultra terrestrial hypothesis that maybe we've shared this planet with, with folks, uh, you know, with with other um, in intelligences that we're only now starting to um, develop the technology to even detect them in the smallest possible sense. So. Of all of those things, which one is it? Oh shit, I have no idea. It could be it could be many of them, but um, I, I certainly think there is a there there to this topic. I, I in the back of my mind, 
I don't just think think that it is um, you know nuts and bolts uh, UAP that is man made is technology that we're trying to uh, you know project the next you know that's going to be released to the world thirty years down the road. I, I do think just based on the sheer volume of of people that have uh, reported seeing something that they can't reconcile and explain, then you have the whole experience uh, phenomenon to it as well. I, I, there's, there is something to it that I think has more of a human man-made explanation to it. That that's, that's my inkling. I don't have any evidence or, uh, you know, I haven't seen any, anything to support that at this point in time, but that's kind of where my, my thinking is, um, is at. No, thanks for that. And something you touched on, I was doing a little bit of research for this and some other stuff I'm doing, and I came across, uh, it's in the Journal of the Royal Anthropological Institute. It was uh, a guy, Eric Sathry, from the University of Pretoria, wrote uh, a journal about the Aboriginal Australian communities, and it was essentially a quick paragraph from it was although ufos flying saucers and extraterrestrials are traditionally considered to be concepts associated with the west indigenous people are also familiar with these ideas in a remote aboriginal community in central australia world Piri residents regularly cite and discuss ufos and again it goes on to discuss that notion that you know well we've got roswell this that and the next thing this goes back, like you say, hundreds of years. And we've heard about that, even uh, indigenous folks in the US and elsewhere around the world seem to have more of a connection and spirituality and almost just like deep understanding that, yes, we are being visited or inhabited by something else. And they just accept that notion as opposed to us in the West who struggle with it a bit more. So I'll put the link for that in the, the description as well for folks to have a look at. And just before we wrap up, Grant, I'd love to know, um, what are your kind of personal favourite cases? Maybe one or two you want to say that if, if anyone was looking at Australian UFO cases, what would you recommend? Australian? Well, uh, so most recently I had an opportunity, this is only a few months ago, back in April, um, I li- living in Melbourne. Um, I'm about 45 minutes, 50 minutes away from the site of the Westall flying saucer incident mm. of the 6th of April, 1966. And um, I learned through uh, Shane Ryan, who uh, has been the lead researcher on the Westall incident for many, many, many years. And, and, and I've seen him on uh, your show and I, and I watched that interview with great interest. Um, he told me about a witness reunion event that uh, is done pretty much on an annual basis and COVID put a bit of a spanner in the works, but there is a witness reunion event uh, at the Grange. Uh, And for those of your listeners that watch, folks that watch it don't know, on the 6th of April, 1966, uh, at Westall High School, um, several hundred uh, school children and uh, several teachers as well witnessed in the skies above their school uh, between one and three. There's a discrepancy as to the total number, but what um, uh, quite a large number of of folks reported as seeing uh, a flying saucer in shape um, hover and move in the skies above Westall High School and then descend to a wooded area known as the Grange, about a kilometre or a couple of k's away from the school. And it either made contact with the the ground, it either landed or or descended and hovered on the ground. So I had an opportunity to uh, meet face-to-face some of these primary witnesses who folks that are now in their 60s and 70s that were only 12, 13 years of age, 16 years of age, when that happened on the 6th of April, 1966. Uh, and and one that was the first opportunity that I had to actually meet uh, 
a number of primary witnesses from a case that is as renowned as the Westall incident, that many people, um, comparable to, I guess, the Ariel school sighting to agree with so many children that had seen something. And they they saw something. What they saw, I don't know because I wasn't there, but to then have the primary witnesses lead myself and many other members of the general public that were just interested in the case to the alleged landing site of the Westall Flying Saucer was really just uh, an incredible experience. I mean, it's quite um, heart pounding as well as, you know, it's kind of like waking up on Christmas morning as a, as a, a young boy, you're just so excited because someone that's interested in this topic, like, like we are, it's just something we're so fascinated by. And it's such a fantastical event. So that, um, that incident, I had an opportunity to meet those folks face to face, and uh, many of them were very generous and gracious of their time and willing to go on camera. So I spent uh, pretty much half the day with them, just asking them questions on camera, uh, and then I was able to put together a kind of a, a, a short documentary video uh, that um, you know, sharing their their commentary and and their retelling of their accounts of that day in as much as I could an unedited format because um, you know, the, the Westall incident has been covered in obviously James Fox's The Phenomenon. Uh, you know, Shane Ryan did a wonderful documentary called Westall 66, a suburban UFO mystery. Wonderful viewing if anyone is interested in the Westall incident. Ross Coulthard's covered it on his uh, Seven Spotlight specials as well. So, But a lot of those, um, a lot of those documentaries only had very um, short edited pieces from those witnesses. So I felt privileged that I was in a position to put all of their uh, their commentary in an unedited format into this video that kind of uh, introduced those that aren't familiar with the Westall incident to that particular case and also trying to explore some of the prosaic explanations that have been offered. You know, Keith Basterfield, who's a grunt, wonderful veteran researcher in Australia, he presented a hypothesis that, well, maybe it was a, a high-altitude balloon, a high bell, uh, but there has never been any documentary evidence um, located or presented that has supported that hypothesis or anything that has supported it being uh, a UAP or a flying saucer as well. And that's what's so frustrating about the Westall incident, that 57 years later, there has never, ever been any form of official explanation offered by the Australian government at a federal, state, or local level. Uh, there's been no um, documentation uh, ever been that's ever seen the light of day regarding the event. And I've tried. I've gone after documentation from NASA, from the Australian Security Intelligence Organization, through the Office of Naval Research. Uh, I know Shane Ryan's done much, much more on the FOIA front than I have. And the, you know, there was this rumor that the Department of Supply conducted this very comprehensive investigation of the Westall incident, but 57 years later, those uh, the, those records uh, are yet to see the light of day. They've never they've either been destroyed or they've been hidden, uh, and they're they're not going to be revealed anytime soon. So the fact that the Westall incident, there has never been any official record or document uh, presented as to what Westall was or wasn't, uh, keeps it keeps it a complete mystery to this very day. Because if it was something that was simply prosaic, like a, 
uh, a high altitude balloon or uh, a meteorolo meteorological balloon, you would think that 57 years after the fact that there would be some form of documentation that would come forward saying, well, it might have been something that was top secret back then, but 57 years later, that technology is uh, is now, you know, no longer, uh, you know, it's rudimentary, it's not relevant. Mm. But nothing has seen the light of day 57 years later. And I think that's the frustration for a lot of the primary witnesses, or at least the sense that I got from them is they're not so worried about what it is they saw, but the fact that they were told to shut up about it and not mm. talk about it is what has um, kept them you know, frustrated and, and, and angry to a point after all these years that they were told never to speak of it. Um, you know, I want to know what Westall, what was responsible for the Westall incident, but more importantly, I want to know why it was covered up. And so that's what I uh, got into in the, in the little video documentary that I put together and, and, um, and, and had that good fortune of, of meeting some of the primary witnesses firsthand. So, so that is certainly the, the, the case that has, um, captured my fascination and, and interest uh, most recently. Yeah. And just before I ask you to share where folks can find that and the unexplained rundown, really importantly, you've actively engaged politicians on this matter in Australia. What sort of success have you had? And do you want to give a little shout to listeners here? Because the fourth biggest listenership for this podcast is folks out in Australia. So hello to all of you. Um, what would you say to anyone listening to this who might think, do you know what, I'd love to to engage a local politician. How would I do that? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I remember I was like a lot of folks that maybe are watching this from uh, down under. I was, you know, where you are maybe now and I didn't know what to do. Who should I reach out to? How do I contact my, um, my elected representative? So I really just um, took it upon myself to jump on Google, type in contact my member of parliament or senator, and you'll be taken to the Australian uh, Parliament House website where there are some very relatively straightforward step-by-step -step instructions on how you can engage your member of parliament or your senator. And that's exactly what I did. Um, it was following the efforts of, you know, the Big Phone Home, which was a really wonderful uh, activism uh, event that got me inspired to get off my ass and get in the game and reach out to my elected representatives. And that's what I did. I, I wrote letters. I emailed them. Uh, some of them were on Twitter. I tweeted at them. I had some never replied, and that's to be expected. So you'll have some successes and some that don't bother to respond. But um, I was fortunate enough to foster um, ongoing engagement and a relationship with Senator Peter Wish-Wilson of, of Tasmania, who again is the only senator that has uh, taken this topic seriously and asked questions in, in Australian Parliament. So I've been fortunate in that I've been able to provide Senator Wish-Wilson with information that has informed his lines of inquiry at the Senate estimates hearing that he's asked um, you know, questions about UAP to the Australian Department of Defence, namely the Chief of Air Force, because a lot of senators and members of parliament, they may not, they've got so many other topics that are important to their constituents. They don't have the same um, time or, the, or invest the same amount of energy and effort as maybe we do to research this topic or really you know, dive into the weeds. So I was in a position where I was able to uh, put, put forward almost about 30 questions to Senator Wish Wilson submit it to his office. And to my surprise, and I guess delight, at the Senate estimates hearing on the 9th of November of last year, 
he had about eight minutes to ask questions of the Chief of Air Force, Air Marshal Robert Chipman. And every single question that he asked were questions that I had authored, I had drafted and submitted to him for his consideration. So I don't say that to impress your audience, or to, but really to impress upon them that if you engage your elected representative on this topic and you make them uh, aware of the fact or understand how important this topic is to you and that you want them to take it seriously uh, as their constituent, then your uh, engagement with that elected representative can potentially help inform their thinking and lines of inquiry that they may take on the topic. They may make further inquiries internally. They may reach out to Senator Wish Wilson. They may ask questions at a Senate estimates if they're on a particular committee. So if you are um, persistent enough and consistent in your persistence to engage your, le- your elected representatives, you can really uh, help m- move the ball along and get some questions asked of position of those that are in positions of leadership in defense and in and in government because unfortunately senator wish wilson can't do it all on his own so the more australians that engage their elected representatives on the topic uh, and get them aware of what is going on you know in the united states that this is taken seriously as a national security and safety of th- flight risk I hope that you'll have more uh, politicians in Australia start to take this topic seriously and follow Senator Wish Wilson's lead uh, on the topic. So um, that would be my recommendation. Just, you know, make a phone call, write, email, send a text. If folks aren't sure how to start off that correspondence, uh, they're certainly welcome to engage me directly on X or on Twitter. Uh, I just go by the handle at Grant Levac. Uh, I actually have some good resources on my YouTube channel as well, The Unexplained Rundown, or if you just search for my name, Grant Levac. I cover uh, quite extensively you know, what is Australia doing about UAP and, and how folks can engage their uh, elected representatives on the topic. Not only their elected representatives, but also the news media as well. You're following the, the Q&A event that Ross Coulthard did in Melbourne. Uh, a number of folks that I met at that event uh, we all formed part of a, uh, joined a Facebook group and we made a very collective and strategic effort to, um, you know, write to the media, to the, to the mainstream media and, and demand they cover this topic with the respect that it deserves and take it seriously and do away with the X-Files theme at the front end of everybody segment and start asking some serious questions of, people in positions of leadership in the Australian government and Department of Defence. Because sadly, the news media in Australia is only covering the topic from a US standpoint. They're not asking, well, why is Australia not taking the topic seriously? Has the Australian Minister for Defence engaged with discussions with his counterpart, the Secretary of Defence, Lloyd Austin, on UAP? And he's had five engagements in the last 12 months, and UAP has never come up in discussion. So... The media are not asking these questions. We need to uh, demand that they ask that they topic take this topic seriously. And if more and more people do that, I think there'll start to be a point of critical mass where they realise that this is a topic that uh, our viewers and readers want to uh, want to hear more about and, and for us to take seriously. So that's a long winded answer to your question, but that's essentially um, you know. What, what I've done and, and advocate for people to do. 
No, that's that's well put. And all those links to how to find you, how to find the channel are in the description for the show as well. And for me, Grant, a thank you and a well done because you do put a lot of work in and you're one of those, the Twitter accounts I look for and go and find out because I'm like, ah, Australian stuff, go to Grant. Not even just that, you, you, you follow all the US stuff and that around the world well as well. So thank you very much on behalf of me. And uh, like I say, other listeners out in Australia, get involved, get in touch with Grant and uh, yeah, do some work and maybe we can get this worldwide phenomena kicked up a gear as well because like you say when the news kind of falls away in the US it certainly goes away everywhere else as well so well done well done Grant and uh, great having you on uh, thanks Andy I appreciate it it's been a pleasure to talk with you and and uh, thanks for the opportunity to um, share some insights with you with your listeners so many thanks that is all for this episode thank you very much for tuning in don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform apple and spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm if you're checking the show on youtube please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform and finally you can listen to shows ad free and sponsor free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on apple spotify just search that ufo podcast premium youtube you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com thank you very much for listening folks it wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer more like a hubcap designed by chaucer a little baroque and quite steampunk like alice was playing bass for the parliament of Fuck. the little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when i shoved out the screen he made it an issue i don't think he expected me to see his ass but i'd had some champagne and smoked